Welcome to You Talking with Greg. I am here with Rachel Hayden, who I became familiar with when I heard her wonderful performance on John Verbeke, talking about gender and transitioning. And it was an unbelievably enlightening soul as far as I was concerned. Uh, and then we circled into each other and she's on my Theory of Knowledge Society list and has contributed remarkably to that. I remember somebody asked, how the hell do you explain this You Talk thing? I stumbled across some arcane things and then Rachel just popped out an excellent elevator pitch that I will now be advertising for so that normal people can understand what the fuck I'm up to. And Rachel is excellent for that. She helps translate us weird arcane academics into normal speaker. people speak with enormous amount of grace and brilliance. And I'm very happy to have you here. Rachel, welcome. Uh, thank you so much. That's, that's such a great introduction. Um, and I'm so excited to be here, obviously, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, just to be part of this whole adventure questing thing that this diaspora of people is embarking on. <laughs> totally. That's, that's exactly what it is. We were just talking about us as a bunch of misfit toys, uh, like like little, you know, the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer story about a, we're all just sort of finding our way into this weird, you know, space. And uh, so how about, you know, you know, I'm a clinician and you listen to you talking, you know, I kind of like to start with the narratives of, of the guest and uh, how do they come to this space and what's their version of reality and what they think is really relevant for a uh, guest as we, uh, to listen, we're listening to frame uh, what we'll be getting into things of gender and, you know, uh, that's a hell of a topic and ecology of practice stuff perhaps and peer-to-peer support and just what the hell you talk is in relationship to everyday world and all those are wonderful conversations but let's let's start with your narrative Rachel and help us understand how you got to this space okay sounds good and yes having listened to many a you talk episode already I you know I kind of know the format and I spent way too much time trying to even suss out what a good narrative would be for my life because it seems like so you know non-linear to me mm -hmm. <laughs> in so many ways but you know um I really like, I think starting close to now in a way it might be a good like, you know, yeah. title section or whatever, yeah. Yeah. because it was like just a couple years ago that I stumbled into John Verveke's work. Mm -hmm. um, and I came to that from a really different direction. Like you were kind of, you know, we we're talking before than, than most people in this, you know, wider sense-making community corner of the internet. Um, because I don't, I don't come from an academic background. I have very little, I couldn't stand college. I have like a year of college credits total. Um, you know, I, right. I love learning. I'm fascinated by ideas. Oh, well then no wonder you hated college. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder we messed up. <laughs> no wonder we synced up and, uh, you know, well, hey, academics out there, take note. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love learning and learning things. So obviously I dropped out after a fucking year. <laughs> That's not exactly what we would want to hear as an academic, but I can empathize as now I'm a fucking shaman on a hill looking at the goddamn academy. Sorry for the commentary. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, you know, and it just, yeah, part of it was the, the dryness, the, the feeling that it wasn't alive, that there was no, you know, what John Verveke would call like the participatory perspectival even procedural knowing that was integrated with the propositional knowing. So, you know, getting into his four levels of knowing a little bit. Um, so, you know, stumbling into him, I, I came from this really like blue collar sort of background between like working in co-op grocery stores, kind of another misfit <laughs> place and, you know, doing massage therapy, being a barista in coffee shops, you know, just 
lots of like odds and ends, um, right. you know, hmm. very, you know, not, 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 um, you know, career driven as a person right. and right. sort of floundering, to be honest, for a very long time. Um, kind of like what, you know, what even am I doing here? What's the point? What's right. the meaning of right. life? And why does our culture suck so much? And, you know, right. stuff like that. Yeah. You <laughs> those kinds of dilemmas. Yeah. Those little things. Yeah, the know? little things. Just how do I socialize as an adult when I fake and hate the culture I'm in? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like I've, I've always felt like kind of an insider outsider, you know, not really fitting, not really not fitting. Um, and I think, you know, it's sort of, sort of been a, a blessing as well as a curse in some ways um, to just, you know, learn from the margins and try to fit things together in my own way. Um, but that leaves you susceptible to bullshit. Um, uh, that's right. I'm, I mean, you mentioned that. I didn't put that in a little intro, but we'd be wondering about the bullshit that we are surrounded in, I think, in the course of our little conversation here. That'd be yes. very, very important. That's wonderful. Yeah, that's how I came to John's work primarily was, mm. you know, I left acad academia, I didn't, I left <laughs> college early um, because, you know, it just seemed, it seemed like bullshit in a different way. It seemed like, you know, the bullshit that just ignored entire levels of being and knowing um, and, and made only the propositional knowledge out to be important. Um, and then I got into some worlds like, you know, the, the bodywork therapy world, martial arts world, mm. um, peer support world, mm -hmm. which were really good, especially the somatic arts, were really good mm. at like informing my knowing on participatory levels, levels of embodiment, levels of yep. being with others, you know, extending my embodiment into the world, you know, kind of playing with space bubbles with people and, you know, stuff like that. Martial arts, right. likewise, you know, very physical. Sure. Um, very transformative in some ways and, and mm. um, you know meditation too you know from like kind of a zen tradition is where I most right most um, practice um, but then you know the, from those levels it was like I found I find now that I was very susceptible to um, propositional bullshit you know <laughs> like mm. the, the classic kind of bullshit um, referred to or you know sort of um, elucidated by Harry Frankfurt, the philosopher. Sure. Yeah, good. Yes. Yeah. So uh, just for people to know, so uh, this became a serious philosophical topic by Frankfurt. Um, and this whole question of what is bullshit, uh, which isn't exactly lying, uh, but it's essentially filling up space for certain kinds of rhetorical influence, motivational pieces. We do it all the time. Uh, and then the assessment of our current culture uh, is it's loaded with bullshit. Uh, we shouldn't be surprised if the underlying architecture is one of a chaotic, fragmented pluralism, which is what I argue it is. Uh, and, uh, and then the meaning crisis can be uh, at least that sort of the intellectual sense-making level. If we think about a cracked, broken landscape that then has vines of bullshit growing out of it all over the place, uh, that's essentially the ecology that we find ourselves in. So this issue of bullshit in relationship to the organization of our sense-making is pretty fucking central. So I'm glad you picked that up. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. So yeah, you know, it was like, um, I was trying to kind of navigate the world from, you know, from the, the trainings I had in body work and somatic arts and, and so on. But like, and they were, you know, they just really like fell apart at the level of propositional knowing where they just kind of like, coded it over with a bunch of bullshit, you know, um, you know, made truth irrelevant in that sense. And, you know, so it's kind of the opposite 
Totally. From the people, academic world, right. right? You know, that's the that's the nature of our problem. You can enter into one aspectualized part of the arena, but the mm -hmm. actual arena itself is all fucking broken. So you can't, you only get so far. So it's, hey, we have to do embodiment. And from a Utah perspective, hey, we're a living organism and our animal body's embedded in that. And we better be a fucking attentive to that. And they aren't in the Western modernity shit. And so, oh yeah. And then, and then what do you do? It's like, well, okay, we'll get attentive to that and attend to that. And then now what? You know, right yeah, now you, yeah. now you just tap out in relationship to, well, how does that integrate with our propositional knowing? Oh, it's all about the body. Well, no, actually, you still got to think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like critical thinking was the real gap there or one of the big missing pieces for me, you know, and I fell for a ton of it. That's why I'm here. Like I, you know, just like, wow, the things I believed in and, and followed and adhered to, you know, um, and the worlds that I was in, you know, grocery co-ops, martial arts, body work therapy, are rife with it. Um, and so at a certain point, a bunch of, um, there's a group of like skeptical massage therapists, body workers that were on Facebook of all places. And <laughs> we're really trying hard to like, kind of get down to like, okay, what's going on here with body work, you know, um, can fascia really be moved or is it sort of, you know, like these kind of questions that um, like uh, come up a lot in, in massage therapy and, and actually like form, you know, um, question the, the basis of massage therapy and body work in a theoretical sense. Um, I started to get into those, those questions that people were asking and, and that led to an exploration of biases and fallacies and blind spots. You know, this, this great podcast, You Are Not So Smart, um, really introduced me to that stuff with a spoonful of sugar, you know, it was like, you're not so smart, but it's okay. Like we're all kind of in the same boat here, you know, yeah. um, we have all these biases. We, we want to believe what we want to believe and, and so on, you know, and that was super helpful. And it made me realize kind of part of why I had fallen into this way of being, but um, it didn't, you know, it wasn't satisfactory. It was like, well, now we're kind of fucked because, you know, we have this, like all these modalities where the theory for them is baseless and we're, but we like the practices, think there's something to it, you know, but like then the whole culture feels meaningless on top of it. You know, it was just a mess for me. And like yeah, politically well, too, I, I'm like kind of a refugee of the culture wars in some ways. Um, yeah. No, I mean, uh, you know, I'm president of the Society for Exploration of Psychotherapy Integration. Uh, mm -hmm. This is, uh, and, and so that system is trying to ask, like, what is the integrity uh, of psychotherapy, you know, and, and then, uh, you know, in counseling is like, and how much of that is fucking bullshit, you know, and just sort of like the common process is really that, is that all that fucking is? And everybody's got this arcane language, they just dump on it. <laughs> um, that's an interesting argument and that's one that the field struggles with. Um, and there's, a, I believe there are particular ways to actually frame that effectively and see what's the truth of that. And then also its limitations and then how to cut through the bullshit to get to genuine um, sense-making in, in that area. And then that would have implications for a lot of other areas too. But anyway, yeah, that's something that yes. psychotherapy struggles with enormously. That's some of the, you know, some of, like, we can get into it later, but what drew me to your work was applying, like, kind of a similar lens to peer support practice, yeah. you know, as a non, non-diagnostic. Um, well, I mean, you talk is the ultimate sense-making tool, so not to toot my own fucking horn, but there it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you got it, you might as well toot it. You know, whatever, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm still working on my humility, people, you know, grant me that one. So there it is. You know. <laughs> do our best so, at least we all know our little you know there it is yeah. so anyway go ahead yes, I, I, totally I um no that's great <laughs> um 
so, you know, like uh, I was saying, you know, politically too, similar problems, just kind of, you know, realizing that, you know, where are my ideas even coming from in the world? I was really involved with like kind of political movements, activism, stuff like that, um, you know, alongside this other chaos <laughs> that constitutes my life, it seems like. Um, and all of that does seem really fragmented to me, you know, on a narrative level. And, you know, you, um, you and like Master Pietro and people talk about how narrative sort of it's like this necessary lie in a way, you know, um, kind of like art. Yep, <laughs> you know? no, it's helpful fictions that we then latch on to. Uh, and then, I don't know. And then, but unfortunately people latch on to them in particular ways that they reify it. And we have to, meaning they make it real and then they make it, you know, absolute. And then they operate as though it has to be and then they identify with it. And that's a, uh, that's a shit show. Yeah, and I had found myself, you know, experiencing like you know through meditative practice and other things like like mystical experiences like real like big deal like heavy enlightenment experiences but um being unable to house them you know in any kind of proper narrative um cultural mythos anything like that you know it was just like just fell apart you know because i didn't i didn't understand the cultural cognitive grammar that i live in i didn't you know i thought that you know <laughs> philosophy was a bunch of like old dead white dudes who were a bunch of misogynists and whatever who cares you know like that was kind of my like upbringing like culturally yeah, so it was like bereft of any Some death. truth to that but but partial yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like you got the postmodern without the rest of it right yeah so, right there's, there's um, the rest of it yeah but yeah that's funny <laughs> you know so I was I didn't explore it as deeply as I could have because of that misunderstanding you know and politically you know similar problems so I really and so then back to a couple of years ago, I show up, you know, um, in the middle of life, I have like two major crises, which one of which is discovering John's work, you know, following on the heels of, of exploring um, bullshit and biases and fallacies and heuristics, and things like that, you know, like, oh my gosh, these, you know, these influence my thinking so much. And maybe a lack of meaning is also driving me to become committed to these biases oh. in an unhealthy way, you know, like, um, and uh, roughly simultaneously, I had a crisis with my own sense of gender in my life, um, which, you know, had been sort of a dark lurking presence to me for many years and just burst into flame, you know, all of a sudden. So, you know, while John's work was like setting fire to the kindling of my life in this like new way and just, you know, igniting wow. everything and making me super like excited about, you know, the possibility of wisdom, um, I was also just coming coming into this big, like, chaotic crisis, wow. you know. So is this over, like, the last five years or so, kind of ballpark? Um, this is really only for, like, the last three? Three years. All right. So I didn't know what the word ontology meant, like, a little over two years ago, I don't think. Well, so. yeah. I, <laughs> I really didn't know what it meant until you know, about three years ago myself. I certainly knew okay. the word, but I, at, a, yeah. at one level of abstraction, I know. And it took me a while to actually really know what ontology means. <laughs> good, good. I, that makes you feel so like I can that. empathize with that. <laughs> yeah, you know, I feel like I'm just like just gathering things up like crazy and processing them and, and chewing on them and talking to other people right now about, about all these philosophical concepts, about, you know, practices that develop a person to gain wisdom in conjunction with, with the, um, you know, the philosophical, so to speak, side of things. Um, and so I hit, you know, I hit this, this 
double wave of, of John's work and, and gender dysphoria as it's called, like the kind of the painful realization that your sense of gender doesn't match what society's assigned you based on your outer biology, you know? So wow. um, that was just, that's, the whole a, thing that's was, a fair amount of identity shifting, we might yeah, say. Right? <laughs> it's kind of a clusterfuck, you know, um, and sort of a, you know, it, it's been working out pretty well, but yeah, it's, it's, um, I, I would say it was just so great though to, to have this timing because, you know, again, like as kind of coming out of this culture wars mindset and sort of, you know, postmodern understanding of gender and, 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 you know, gender as sort of a projection of some kind of imagined selfness that, you know, that's like kind of a creative, completely creative act and whatever, like, yep. you know, some of these ideas that were floating around in my world, um, coming out of that world and into like, like really getting into like John's ideas of relevance realization and like the guts of cognition and how we function, um, you know, it helped me so much because it, it helped me steer clear of, you know, on one hand, like this, like dry empiricism, you know, that I've always detested yep. of like, well, you know, you know, you know, transgender people's brains are um, either, um, you know, you either look at like, well, transgender people's anatomy is this way, so therefore they're that way, which I call the flat earth theory of gender. You know, your your genitals define your gender, <laughs> basically. Um, and then, you know, a more sophisticated but still limited view that your neurobiology determines your gender. And, you know, if, if you look at transgender people's brains, then therefore, you know, they are who they say they are um, based on, you know, scads of MRI studies and, and uh, you know, dissections and other, you know, genetic testing and stuff like that. So like that was kind of the dry empiricist approach. And so I was coming to terms with like, I'm some kind of transgender person, I think. I don't know what's going on here. Um, and and also, you know, that romantic projection that I talked about and so <laughs> was on the other side of me. So I was like, yeah, like I don't see how these two things add up because it doesn't, neither of them, you know, I talked about this with John on his show, like neither of them really helped me understand what to do, like yes. I, you know, no wisdom uh -huh. in any of this, um, uh -huh. you know, or no complete wisdom to right. be had from it. And right. so, and I know you're like, you know, there's this whole mental plane in between this, you know, social construct plane and, and life plane. And so like, I want to get into that too, but. Um, yeah, we'll circle back to that. That's a, that's a really important uh, thing for us to kind of maybe, you know, uh, tease apart and then apply the basic generalized model and see how it resonates with your particular psyche experience. Great, great. Yeah, that'd be wonderful. Um, at the time, I fortunately had, you know, um, the work of Agnes Callard and L.A. Mm, Paul. And, right. And transformational uh, people. Uh, transformational very, very, people. Actually, like, I, I don't really, I'll confess they're on my to read list, uh, embarrassingly enough, but I have not gotten to them. So I have them uh, through John's. <laughs> right. Totally. Uh, you know, get on it, Henricus. Jesus Christ. You know, you claim to be an educated academic, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. Um, they were, you know, personally, like, that's where I just like beelined for, you know, mm -hmm. right from Frankfurt into those two, nice. L.A. Paul and Agnes Callard, because I was like, transformation, you know, John's mm -hmm. talking about how great these books are. I, I want to get into them and, and see what's what I can glean from them. And it was really helpful to kind of understand um, like gender transition as more of this aspirational process um, that was based in the real, you know, there's, there's a real basis, there's real possibility there for you if you can get there, mm -hmm. but it's not like a black and white approach of like, 
you are this thing, you just have to express it or, you know, whatever else people are coming up with these, or there's no such thing as gender and it's all social construct and you just make up whatever you want to, you know, um, none of that was helpful in in the inner transformation, like the world that that you guys talk about so much. Um, And so she was really helpful, Agnes Callard specifically. um, And she did, she did validate, you know, my, my thoughts on being transgender. Um, you know, when I reached out to her and thanked her for all of her <laughs> wonderful mm. work, you know, she mm, was, nice. yes, like transgender people are on the, the avant-garde of, of understanding gender as aspiration and mm-hmm. probably for many, you know, what we call cis people, like people who aren't transgender, um, that's also the case she's thinking, but that they don't recognize it as readily. Mm. So, gender Can you say a little bit about, I have a sense of it, but for the listeners may not know what you mean by aspirational. Yeah, aspirational is really specific in Agnes Kellard's work. And I think that's, that is a super good point um, because it doesn't involve just, you know, seeking out um, or trying to meet your goals from your current state of being, right? Like this kind of rational decision-making process as most people think about it. It involves like literally becoming a new person with different values. And so, you know, L.A. Paul pointed out that there's really no way to like, to decide you know, if becoming a new person is a good thing for you because you're a different person then. There's no comparison. It's apples and oranges, right? So you can't um, just like look at like, okay, I'm I'm here now. Does it it make sense for me to become a radically different person or not from my perspective, you know? Like, and now like I feel happier than I did before transition, but I don't know if the pre-transition me Mm. would have necessarily approved of where I am, you know? So Mm -hmm. there's still that ongoing mystery of being. but Kellard solves it by placing the normative authority of your, your transformation in, in your future self rather than in your present self, mm. um, not in any supernatural way, right. but just to say like the standards of your future self are what you are, is what is guiding your process. Mm-hmm. You don't know what those are. They're really murky at best. You need other people to help you. Mm-hmm. You need, you know, in, in John's world, you need serious play. Yep. Like ways to kind of, you know, drag shows or whatever it is for people in terms of gender. <laughs> yeah. Put on the clothing it. of this thing. Start so to speak. see what it is like and begin to expand the imaginal world into it yeah. in relation that then feels that identity forward. Thank you. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yes. You have to, you have to kind of, yeah, stumble your way, fumble toward it in some mm-hmm. way. And, and it's, is this really right for me? Or is it even really a possibility, you right. know? becoming like a man in the classic sense was not really a, a good aspirational goal for me. That would, you know, mm-hmm. turn out not to be a possibility. So <laughs> that sounds actually, that's probably wise. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, re- I generally recommend that. I mean, recommend, you know, caution. <laughs> we can talk about that. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> I'm trying there. I'm, I'm a man a in a traditional sense and I don't recommend it for many. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of sympathy for, you know, Right. or or any men these days. Um, it's a chronic uh, condition. We'll talk about it later. Yeah, <laughs> whether should it go in the DSM? <laughs> male identity disorder. Right, just, right. Just being a normal traditional male. Anyway, <laughs> that's funny. Oh, that's great. Yeah, the arbitrariness of that stuff. But anyway, um, yeah. So she, you know, she kind of helped me like reframe the process as not. Um, not in the propositional way of knowing necessarily, but in more of that participatory perspectival way of knowing from my embodied consciousness, you know, from my perspective in the world requiring a real shift in the whole landscape that I I saw the world through because, you know, 
in some ways recognizing your gender is recognizing that you see the world through a different lens and you've been right. sort of covering that up, you know, yep. and obscuring it with social justifications and things like that. So right. I had to like sort through all that and where does this happen? You know, it doesn't happen in, in the neurobiology per se, mm -hmm. like I'm not sifting through my neurons, you know, consciously. <laughs> um, I needed processes, I needed processes of wisdom. I needed to apply, you know, traditional spiritual practices to this. I needed to come up with my own, like putting on makeup while chanting certain things. Like I, I did all of these practices to sort of work toward not just becoming um you know my aspirational goal of womanhood but also you know I recognize that that could tie into potentially a greater aspiration of becoming a wise person right down the road if I kind of use that energy and, and harness that you know huh? as one aspiration sort of ends maybe the next cycle another one begins and you know wisdom is an endless quest Beautiful. in my opinion yep. <laughs> so <laughs> Um, I thought this is great. You know, this could help me achieve, like, you know, feed two birds with one seed, so to speak. So <laughs> love it. Yes. So you have these identity things. And then ultimately the arc in relationship to wisdom, the icon in the garden is the elephant sun god. And can you kind of yes. find your integrated pluralistic path to the eudaimonic yes. ultimate endpoint by managing the various identity structures and feeding both birds <laughs> with the ultimate seed? <laughs> yes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> So yeah, that's been the, the, the path I've been on, gathering seeds in that way for the last couple of years and um, doing it, like going through John's work and really trying to get it like opened up, you know, all these worlds of philosophy to me again and made Plato just really come alive, um, you know, which helped my, my other, my day job in, in peer support work, which we, you know, we can touch on more yes, that's um, as well. And it made, you know, a lot of the classics make more sense come alive. It made like the sense of religion um, more meaningful to me in life mm -hmm. and kind of coming to grips with what that means. And again, this is all as like a regular person. So I'm, I'm coming into this, this whole thing fresh in a weird way. Like yep. don't have this background. Mm -hmm. Like John is the first person that really like was like, boom, like, you know, philosophical midwife, like just yes. into this world. <laughs> He birthed so, into recursive relevance realization. <laughs> it really did. And it's like, what better place to just show up, you know? Yeah, I know. Like, it's a, you know. I was just having, we were just having our podcast in our new series. And I was like, John, you're stitching us our, our subjective objective worlds together with your transjective recursive relevance realization. He's like, yeah. oh, I like that stitch. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, and that, yeah, the, that, those concepts, those two key concepts are just so huge in my life. The transjectivity for the cultivation of meaning and yeah, like understanding things through that lens, like, Ooh, boy, it just burst, you know, I, I didn't come through Jordan Peterson, I didn't come through Carl Jung, I didn't come from anywhere, I just came right straight from sure. Berlin. And I'm like going back and like, just like, what else is going on in this world? And right. that led me to your work. <laughs> yes, well, that's right. Yeah. You know, I was like, well, who's this guy talking about all these levels of knowledge and stuff with John and consciousness and like, it's really fascinating, but I was like, I don't understand what he's even doing. Um, at first, I went back and watched your guys' videos a couple of times and took notes um, until I could really like, until I started to get a sense that what your, your struggle with psychology was, um, was also reflected in like, in some way in my struggle with peer support, because hmm. peer support, you know, for people who don't know is like this modality that's like considered like non-clinical mental health mm -hmm. support in a right. way for substance use recovery or mental illness, you know, or anything like that. Um, but you could just say it's like generally people helping people being mm -hmm. a good friend in some way, you know, right. it's more of a 
you know, going out shopping with people, mm. going to the, the court date with people, whatever yep. it is you're doing, you know, really out there in the world with them. Um, mm. And peer support, again, wonderful practice, great thing to do, great bridging practice, I think, between psychotherapy and like a better society, better totally. culture, you know. Love the idea um, of it, yep. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> I know we've talked about it a bunch and, and, you know, I, I also just was like, but the theory is so full of bullshit again, you know, and it's, it's, as we talked about, like, there are lines in the, in some of the manuals for some of the forms of peer support that like, there is no right and no wrong, like flat out, like, not just like in this moment, just period, there's no right and no wrong. It's just all about connecting and people's you know getting to be authentic and express themselves or whatever and i'm like well then that, but that is, is not right is that right should yeah. we connect <laughs> then that's or, not right or connect. should we people leave people alone as fragmented homeless yeah. broken individuals that we don't care about maybe we should yeah. do that right yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, we can't really say what's right you know yeah like love and coherence <laughs> they're just like yeah like you know statements like that you know right. we're fine with peer-to-peer -peer rejection that's what, <laughs> you know that's our sister our sister companies peer-to-peer -peer yeah. rejection and there they they right. hate people and shame them and that's fine with us you know <laughs> a new business model for me that's wonderful <laughs> who are we to judge <laughs> Right. Yeah. It was just that, that arbitrariness, the lack. And I, you know, I saw that being distinctly connected to the problem of psychology that you frame, you know, and, and just like, there's no coherent psychology picture of the mind picture of the human in the first place. So how could you expect peer support, which is like basically people who have been through some serious shit, helping other people who are going through some serious shit to make sense of things as well, you know, like beyond just being a good friend in the moment, you know, a good presence. So, yeah, I mean, from my vantage point, uh, you know, the deeper and more pervasive diagnostic problems, the enlightenment gap, mm -hmm. you know, that's what I, you know, which I framed not too long ago in a year and a half. And it's really, that's really a good symptom, right, uh, from my vantage point of the enlightenment gap. So here you have a group of individuals that are systematically trying to network and help others, recognizing that the felt sense of belonging, the felt sense of what, what you talk would tell, a sense of relational value and social influence is absolutely essential for individuals to feel embedded, embodied in the social world, which is one of the most crucial nourishing necessities for our mental health. Okay, So peer-to-sphere support gets that intuitively, which is, of course, then right, because they're intuitive primates okay, mm -hmm. and that are participating in the world, seeing people suffer, and sort of know how to take care pre-propositionally of individuals. Mm -hmm. right? And but then we that, uh, um, that fail with the mental health system repeatedly, yeah, you know, the right? And then the, the mental health system itself is broken, and so you have all these individuals that are, and there's a lot of reasons as to why that's the case, and blah blah blah. And so now you have the system that's like, hey, we should actually care for these marginalized, broken individuals, and we should afford them relational support, right? Okay, which is 100% right, okay, at the level of deep theory, all right. But because of the enlightenment gap. Mm -hmm. There's no propositional justification mm -hmm. that affords us that explanation. Yes. So exactly. we participatory, procedurally, and perspectively know it at the primate level, but we're so fucking confused at the propositional level, which, by the way, is what they jammed into you in the academy in a dry, broken, fragmented way so you'd be socialized to get a fucking job rather than actually right. know how to live. Yeah. Okay. And all that stems to the enlightenment gap which is the inability of our knowledge systems to actually afford coherent intelligibility with regards to what it is that they're actually doing and for what it is that they're doing, i.e. the cultivation of knowledge oriented towards wisdom. 
So they then break and then they shatter. And then the, the vacuity of our fucking knowledge systems mm. can then be just pointed to in peer to peer where their basic structure of justification has gotten to a postmodern point where the core justification for a mission of a society, of an organization that is trying to do things in the world mm -hmm. is that there is no right and wrong. <laughs> I mean, what the fuck? You know, you're, like, you're like, okay, that just, I mean, our justification systems are so fucking broken in relationship to the capacity to actually deepen what it is that we're actually trying to do at the other levels. You know, then we just say clouded with a fragmented, chaotic, bullshit shit show mm. of understanding, which now at the culture person plane of existence means our capacity genuinely solidify the coordination, especially in this unbelievably complex and chaotic world is just fucked. And that's, you know, so yeah. we better fix that, Rachel. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Fix that. Yes. <laughs> I'm coming to Piers Beer on you talk in the end of this month. And so we'll, we'll seed some things. That's what, but that's the whole bunch, basically the deal. And it doesn't have to be that way. Like there actually are knowledge systems now available that afford us crystal clear understanding that yeah. we afford the justification of peers fear support, you know, in mm -hmm. relation. I mean, just go to the little yellow circle over there, pull off the black line and be like, people have hearts. And the core heart that they seek is relational value and social influence. And to the extent that they're rejected and confused and then feel fundamentally isolated, they're just going to get worse and worse and they will suffer accordingly. And because we actually have hearts ourselves, it makes sense for us to network in them, demonstrate relational value, demonstrate social influence support, and do what we can to make them feel known and valued and effective in the world. Yes, yes. Right? Yeah. That's, and that's like deep theory. And we know that it's the case. And we know that it's the right thing to do if we actually transjectively care about whether we want, we want to move towards heaven or move towards hell which I would say the right thing to do would be move towards heaven. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, to call me fucking crazy, but, you know, Auschwitz hell. was bad. <laughs> you know, I, you know right. I mean, I'm a moral crazy person, but I think Auschwitz actually was wrong. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that was wrong. No, I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to weigh the fuck out there in my moral assertions. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, you know, I'm all activated today. No, no, it's great. I love it. This is like, yeah, like what my brain would like to be saying, but um, I know, don't know a lot, but I do know that shit's fucked. So, you know, I was well, you like, have an unbelievable intuitive monitor. I noticed that instantaneously as I heard you talk to John. So I was like, I got to talk to her. So, anyway. Thank you. Yeah. I hope I'm, you know, can bring some of that street level. <laughs> right. Well, that's, that's the, it's a bridging function because, you know, yeah, I mean, I had to basically say I'm on a fucking moon inside a garden. So I'm way the hell out there. I'm just going to drag my shit back down and figure so out. Wasn't Greg on the moon. <laughs> Stuck up, you know, firing it up on a moon going, all right, well, <laughs> what the hell are you people on earth doing? <laughs> yeah. Really. Yeah. So, you know, I think like, you know, with peer support, you already have this intersubjective basis, right, to operate from to sort of like, like draw ourselves into a more intelligibility, kind of a, you know, like check our biases, check our blind spots, all this stuff already is pre-existing in that relationship that peer support does really well as like, you know, quote unquote friends. Um, it's not really a friendship, but it, it sort of functions in that slot to me a lot of the time. And then that, you know, that feeds into like that, um, what is it, the re relationalist, I think, um, I forget who your guest was, who just Mike talked Mascolo. about Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like yeah. how, you know, we can sort of start to develop a moral world based in that intersubjective relationalist thinking. Um, it's not like we're going to come up with the answers between two random peers, but we're going to at least be able to kind of enjoy a space opening up. And so I see that as my job to continually 
open up that space of intelligibility, at least where it's possible, where there's wonder, curiosity, you know, people start totally. to get turned on to that again, rather than shut down by, you know, hyper relativism, hyper individualism, objectivism, totally. whatever, you know, kind of stuff. So let's, let's drop a you talk language in there. Okay. So basically um, in you talk, we can start with the individual subject. Okay. At the level of their particular psyche, their particular epistemological portal. Okay, and then that's the I quad coin, the human identity function that then is the architecture then that holds the unique ideographic psyche of the individual. <clears throat> and we have the, and that's so the coin psyche. Then we have the tree of knowledge for our big map of big history that anchors us back into natural science and affords us some transcendent picture of our origins and scientific knowledge that particularly is going to create constraints with regards to what kinds of variants we are actually embedded in. And then that's going to afford us choices and not choices, like we can't change the law of gravity, but we can change the law around weed. Okay, mm -hmm. there are some laws we can change and some laws we can't. Okay, um, and then we ultimately going to create a transjective intersubjective relation dyad here in the intersubjective. So that's the relational space between the peer to peer supporter and the individual. And then we're how to create that relation and ultimately then place it in relationship to some kind of moral narrative mythopoetic arc for a society that cultivates the kind of values that we want to be over long term represented by the garden. And so you get garden wisdom, you get tree behavior, you get coin psyche, and then we can juxtapose that structure and ask questions about, well, there's no right and wrong inside the psyche, you become the authority of your own particular world. And that's a subjective relativistic place at some level. As soon as you jump out into the intersubjective relational space, now all of a sudden you have to entangle that. There are laws objectively that we have discovered scientifically, and there's ultimately a collective moral ethical narrative space that we want to be committed to as human beings that do have a sense of where we'd rather be rather than where we'd rather not be. Yes. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. And that's like, that's where, you know, I, I know, um, thanks to you, I'm still like, you know, getting, getting mentoring on where peer support can, can sort of guide itself toward ultimately, or at least have that, that North star, you know, to look toward instead of just like, oh yeah, now we're just this cool intersubjective space or whatever, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, we need that other side of the coin <clears throat> as well. So yeah, I think it's, it's coming along. It's, it's a great work in progress for me. You know, it's kind of like, reinventing like Socratic kind of approaches um, for the modern age while you're going grocery shopping with people mm. uh, trying to do, you know. I really love the idea of that. I mean, because, and indeed, you know, people know I gave up my license here. Uh, and part of that is getting the wisdom that we know in the psychotherapy room into peer relations, into schools, into families, into communities. Um, you know, everyone should know what triple negative neurotic looping is. Hey, negative situations happening at negative feelings. And then that narrator comes online and it will act in a particular kind of way. And if you, then that generates more problems, stop. <laughs> you know, don't keep going more. And I like people to stop, get mindful, turn on a calm MO flashlight and re-engage in the process in a way that is oriented towards, you know, put a basement on that and reevaluate. Yes. Like yeah. everyone should know like out of society, that's not super complicated. You know, if we actually spent three hours in school on that kind of thing, mm -hmm. so that everybody knew that process, like, you know, yeah. that's not that complicated, it's summarized. Where the hell yeah. are we? <laughs> totally. And then that lines up like, you know, practices with 
like peer support with soul and spirit again too. So you have your, you know, your basement, you've got your connection with the, your emergent being, who you really are in the world at this point, you know, and then who you could become as well. And, and it, you know, it connects it back into not only more of a, you know, a scientifically valid worldview, but also like, you know, various, you know, spiritual approaches at totally. the same time. Totally. So it requires, you know, in, I think, you know, peer support is going to need some embodiment practices woven into it more effectively as well. You know, whatever those become or peer supporters need to become more. Beautiful. In fact, that lines up the, those three line very up, I would argue with <clears throat> uh, Zach Stein's uh, frame, uh, sort of metapsychological frame. So ensoulment is coined psyche in particular, sort of like the character functions, like what are you defending against? What mm -hmm. psychotherapy would deal with? What, how are you structured in the world? You know, you then actually have to act in the world. And you look at the tree and basically, okay, there's a map of behavior at the level of competence and effectiveness. So that's skill development framing. And then the garden fundamentally is the transcendent spirit. So we want to understand the behavioral world in a particular kind of way. We want to understand our psychic ensoulment and we want to understand spiritually how we can elevate based on what imaginal good would be to use a sort of a Corbin, John Verbeke introduced me, Corbin, mm -hmm divine double that we can then orient ourselves and say, hey, over time, what would be transformative growth toward the good for me? And how can I be oriented toward that? Yeah, yeah, that's great. And I think for peer support, part of that involves like helping people sort of like heal from the trauma of whether it's like a religious experience that, you know, went bad, a cult kind of thing. I, I usually see people who have been through plenty of trauma, you know, and sure, so- of course. Um, it's hard to get to that place, right? Of needing that place, that place of marginalization, a lot of fucking injury to the heart system and head and body yeah, <laughs> and, totally. and spirit. You know, it's, pretty, it's a pretty psychic stack injury, right? Yeah, you know? Finances, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Things, um, God love them, but, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, and a lot of them, of course, have um, problems with religion due to their gender, sexuality, orientations, and things like that as well. So, you know, trying to kind of heal to a place where they can start to look toward the elephant sun god, you know, mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, decide kind of like even, even get to that point where there is something, you know, transcendent worth living for. Um, it's a pretty big deal. Totally. So that's, that's another step I want to take with peer support to kind of, you know, help people do that in a non, you know, again, non-judgy, non-pushy way mm -hmm. where I'm trying to like guide them toward any kind of specific path or whatever, but but to help them open up that space, help us both, we can both co do that together because when peer support, it's always, you know, I'm the one tending the fire, but we're both sitting around it talking. It's sure. like, we don't have anything over them other than that. I've been mm -hmm. trained in setting up the context for this interaction, which actually affords me a really cool opportunity because yes. you know, I don't have to have any expertise and kind of in a way it's like, I'm not going to compare myself to Socrates at all, except that <laughs> like he's sort of like coming at, at a lower point toward people he's talking mm -hmm. to, right? So mm -hmm. he doesn't have that advantage of expertise at all. And he has to figure out how to be super nice to people a lot of the time and, and sort of ironically polite. <laughs> right. You know, right. so I'm kind of thinking, yeah, this, this is a good way to, to come at people. Then, you know, they have their, they maybe have their expert in a room, they have their therapist, you know, um, as well. And of course, you know, it's, it's more complicated than that, I know, but then they have me who's just like their, their sort of buddy out mm -hmm. on the street and, you know, they can interact with us both differently and maybe put together their own picture of what's happening and how to heal from what they've been through and aspire to be a better person, find meaning, all the good stuff. No, so yeah. And, and I think that the idea that in your, what you're after to try to cultivate the right sense-making frame 
that enables individuals to create that context in a way that gives them the freedom and the flexibility, which is absolutely necessary, but isn't so loose and vague uh, mm-hmm. that it can just spill out of any kind of container uh, yeah. and lacking any kind of um, guidance. So how, how to put that frame that allows the participatory structure to be maximally oriented, both in flexibility, but also in direction toward yeah, adaptive outcomes, totally. Yeah, yep, that's perfect, yeah. <laughs> I love how you're just like, here, I'm gonna give this asterisk with this massive, you know, <laughs> high vocabulary version of, of things, so this is wonderful. Right, well, you know, this is, you know, just sort of like, all right, I'll sort of do that, and then, we'll, then our whole point is we gotta like, then bridge those things and then make them participatory, perspectival, and just everyday propositional. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's kind of what, you know, and I feel like, again, that's where I feel like people like me are going to hopefully help um, enrich the dialogues that are happening because, you know, you've got, you know, a lot of people talking about you know, whose system is best and whose ideas are going to win out and who should win and what what sort of way should we, you know, talk to the masses about mm-hmm. things and is this video good or is it really poorly done and, and you know, whatever, <laughs> like things like that. Um, Kind of, you know, mostly from the top down in a sense, yeah. you know, um, and I, I just, I feel like, you know, I don't want to see a movement. I don't want to be part of a movement that is like totally vanguard driven. Yep. Um, you know, I've seen those before in the past in various ways, and they're pretty dangerous things, very top heavy. And um, I, I want to see, and this is what I love about like you and John is that there's like a chance for interactive dialogue, you know, where mm. it's like, emergent emanation, you know, yep. following ontology, you know, we've got a chance to actually live that. In a, in a society where people, you know, of course there's expertise and there's like wisdom and there's all that stuff, but then there's just kind of like the beginner's mind of people like me or just, you know, your, your average trans woman coming off the street, you know? <laughs> you know, that's hysterical. Um, right, your average Rachel. <laughs> Um, actually, yeah, I want to make sure we get into that. So let's use that little, okay, so that's a nice summary of some peer-to-peer um, framing. Um, and certainly if there's anything in particular, but I did want to make sure we circle into gender too. So come back to some of that it might be a useful uh, looping now to do that. Is there anything else before we do that? Is there anything else peer-to-peer that you wanted to make sure we circled into? Um, you know, not really, but just as a bridge, like, like, gender support has become a big part of my peer support work and so um you know getting you know getting more clear about especially what gender is not (laughs) with people i think again opening up that intelligibility space is going to be super important which is why i want to talk about it so much because it's you know i think it's really important that people um like struggling with questions of gender and identity and sexuality are really careful to like like see their own inner experience and evaluate it carefully and totally. get some perspective on it rather than yep. jumping into like a common frame to reflexive. Totally. Right. Well, as you know, my basic sense is the entire society is completely fucked in its capacity to understand this. Yes. Totally. <laughs> Sorry, you know, but there it is. I don't know. Even at, at its just most basic level. So where do you want to start, you know, uh, in terms of uh, what would be helpful in relationship to, do you want to share your perspective on gender? Do you want to dive into certain kinds of questions? I mean, I I have a basic immediate frame uh, that gets activated when I listen to these conversations. What would be helpful for you? Um, You know, I think we can talk about the TOK, the tree of knowledge, and just really, you know, start there because that's what I found extremely useful. And you actually like directly pointed this out to me in a conversation, but like, 
you know, this can help frame your questions about gender in a way that society currently seemingly cannot because, mm -hmm. you know, you even look at like apparently academic views on gender and it's super simplistic, um, super essentialist and, you know, re reduces to like one level or another of, of the TOK essentially. And it yeah. ignores the whole mental plane in between. Oh my God, it's, it's know, horrifying. So on the, so just so we're clear, um, you know, the enlightenment gap then breaks us down into a mind-body or matter-mind or whatever duality, okay? And we don't know what we mean by mind, but in the most abstract, highest order level, it means the collective human construction of the world and the ways in which to generate reasons about shit, okay? And then this becomes sort of the social construction of knowledge for you. All right. And then this then gets separated from a structural, mechanistic, physical, causal process. Okay. So you get a structural mechanistic physics back in the old days of Newtonian physics, where you basically get billiard ball activity. All right. And then they build machine shit that works on force equals mass times acceleration. And you have this notion that really the world is a structural mechanism unfolding. Mm -hmm. And then out here, you have the idea that we can create reasons and justify shit, you know, and then we're walking around and essentially saying, well, the world consists of, we don't know how, but it's these two kinds of things. I mean, you get the Cartesian split, which we know is fucking philosophically wrong, but everybody imputes it anyway. And they say, oh, this is the mental world where we go around and talk about shit and world of ideas and thoughts, mm -hmm. right? That we can construct and they're totally fluid versus the fixed, determined, has to be this way, always the same kind of thing in a structure mechanism sort of way, oh, okay? So yeah. that's it, and that's what people then are, oh, that's physical and that's mental. Yep. All right? Yep, it gets like- <laughs> Which is yeah, like, yeah. That's, that is, <laughs> the, you know, it's like <laughs> good fucking luck in relationship to actually have, if those are your two little schemas, a, a mechanistic physical determinism and a just, amorphous reason generating you know no space time imaginal space uh you know based on propositions and image well then you're fucked i mean you'll never make sense out of the world but that's what people are wandering around with okay yeah yeah you know? and, and then said yeah, it like that sense of like appalled I, is what i took from at a certain point just like this is appalling it makes no sense well that, i mean this is another lightning gap downstream reality because everybody that actually is sophisticated knows that's wrong very few people know how to make it right okay but everybody is sophisticated knows it's wrong but that still is what gets handed in the common sense lexicon and sense-making process and so then you see this yeah. in relationship to okay there's this whole issue there's the thing called sex right mm -hmm. And then they'll jam sex into a physicalist deterministic frame, mm -hmm. okay, as if it's sort of like, okay, bio, it's biology, that's physical, and then it's physical shit is determined, mm -hmm. right, on the one hand, which is yeah. wrong, <laughs> it's wrong level and wrong frame for determinism, but nonetheless, that's what they do, and then they take gender, and they come at with, the, like, this is really super insightful, it's like, huh, well, there's these ideas about what men and women are have been created by individuals and that is what gender is it's this construction of social knowledge and relation and people got together and decided what was proper for men and women and now we've been deluded into this idea that there's a gender binary which is completely basically propaganda bullshit and we can rewrite this script any way we want because it's in the mental and people simply have been socialized into this and it's time for now to free us from the gender binary 
because there's sex, which is over here, and that's a mm -hmm. different kind of thing. And now it's gender. And in the context of gender, anyone can assign whatever gender they want because it's out lives in this ideological space. Mm -hmm. And there's no, you know, and then you're just sort of like, that's no just not right. <laughs> yeah. And I'm always like, why would I transition if it, you know, if gender is just a social construct and I want to get rid of it or change it to whatever, then like, why do I feel this deep seated dysphoria, deep like collision? Like it was always like this screaming sheet metal banshee or dull, totally dull underwater thud, like these feelings of collision in me that were painful, so, you know? Like, so what I always tell people is like, okay, let's talk about the classic and, and appropriate gender dysphoria individual who successfully transitions and then knows that the transformation was the right one for them. Mm -hmm. How are we gonna take this model yeah, of these two yeah. little things and yeah. afford us clarity about how somebody actually has a psychic experience that accords with the classic need for transitioning? Because what you have here is on one level, I'm this, I mean, this is a total Cartesian bullshit split. On the one level, I have a body that doesn't feel basically, has just mechanistic processes. It, it produces testes in me and a penis. Right. I pop out. Somebody looks at that, says you have testes and a penis, and then affords some ideological structure that says you're going to be a boy that grows into a man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if all you have is then this mechanism, and then you have this mental space that's ready to receive with mm -hmm. whatever openness, the social construction of knowledge, how mm -hmm. the fuck could you be trans then? Because right. you only have two things. Your, your social label is going to line up with your biological mechanism and everybody, should, no one should be trans ever. Exactly. Like it makes no... And where sense. the hell does the subjective ideological psychic space come from that says, actually, I'm misassigned? Yes. And How the like, hell, where does that energy, right? I mean, it's like- Hear this from the trans community itself, like gender is a social construct. Oh, well, totally, because they've been handed by us fucking academics in our broken enlightenment gap, the complete <laughs> yeah. wrong tools. And then the activists come along because of the postmodern justice concerns, which I'm so always super sympathetic to. And then they blend a postmodern uh, concern around justice, which is marginalization and power with a weak and lame interpretation of the post-structuralists like Foucault and Derrida, those are the, the continental philosophers, and basically come to this unbelievably stupid ass conclusion that everything is just a construction and it doesn't matter. So we can simply fucking rewrite what it is. And that creates a fluidity. And in the short term, it gives you language-based power because now you can just say, well, you guys are oppressors. You guys chose some bullshit narrative. I'm going to flip the bullshit narrative and play the language game. And then that makes you feel righteous. But unfortunately, it's completely vacuous at the level of general grounding for a society that would afford itself a future orientation towards what is good, true, and beautiful. Because it's basically like, no, we've actually now undercut the capacity to even develop a grounds of justification on a critical theory, not a constructive theory. So it's a critical mm -hmm. theory. It's like, your theory is bullshit. Mm -hmm. So uh, because your theory is bullshit, I'm now going to justify my construction, reconstruction of gender out of the idea that your construction is bullshit. It's like, oh my God, like, no people, you're just yeah. so wrong in relationship yeah. to the level of philosophical sophistication. I love you. And I'm sorry that you're like, you know, I appreciate that yeah. there's justice issues here, but this is like way the hell out there in relationship to coherence and, yeah. and use, usability. Sorry, I'm all fired up. Definitely, okay, incoherent. I love it, incoherent, you know. <laughs> and it, yeah, I've even heard people, you know, oh, gender is just a creation of um, capitalist bourgeois <laughs> to control the masses. I'm like, what the, 
you know, like <laughs> totally. That's what no that's become gender and like free modern society at all. Like right. No, they didn't even care about that, right? You know, there was no red <laughs> tent that women went into and menstruated. Yeah. I know, I was just random. No matter who goes in there or not. Yeah. Know. Yeah. They were just like, well, it could be a blue tent. We don't know. Whatever. Uh, whatever. Anyway. So, <laughs> so right. So so you have that, and that's that archaic, unfortunate Cartesian, you know, echo. And we never make sense out of matter and mind. So Obviously, the TOK first separates out inanimate matter, okay, that drops that down there. Okay? Yeah. And then it places the complex adaptive plane of life as a genetic biophysiological unfolding process. Mm -hmm. So you are a human organism. Mm -hmm. and, that's in the, and then that, that organism process lives, lives, okay, at the genetic cellular organ system cooperative structure. And it has to pull in the right physiology and information to maintain that structure. You have to eat and you have to breathe, right? And you can't be tossed in a fire, <laughs> you know, yeah, totally. the fucking thing breaks down, right? Yeah, so you're you have, like some roots of gender in here in terms of genetics. Like that's well, the right. Then you have, then there's the organismic level, okay, of, of organization. And it's pretty clear for us as or the kind of human organism we are, we're sexually reproductive. You know, um, uh, that meaning <laughs> in a very basic way, you need a sperm and an egg to jump into the next generation. Duh. Right. And then in order to have that nature, then obviously builds a bimodal organization around the human organism to guide it. The default plan is feminine, the female, and then it will make switches so that it then activates a series of cascading elements to then return right or left towards the male if it has a particular set of switches, essentially, that afford then the layered genetic cellular organ system capacity. And then we get the bimodal distribution of an anatomy body plan, okay? Um, so that's the basic, that's your organism level, all right? And that's what people call as biology, but notice it's not fixed. It's a complex adaptive system. Yes. It's not even either or, even biology is properly considered as a bimodal plan that has physiological, genetic, or, you know, all sorts of different kinds of structures that are layered into things like, well, where are breasts going? What is happening in relationship to the proper development? All of that, okay? Mm -hmm. So that's the, and then the, the, after you're an organism, you're a primate, okay? And, the, and this is the shift is absolutely, it's important to make the shift from matter to life that we're not talking about reductive physical mechanisms, or in fact, we're talking about complex adaptive systems at the level of life, okay? Which is not then the old billiard ball model. It is actually an iterative developmental process that's open to particular feedback. And essentially the living system learns at a particular level. The bio, there's a biocognitive process of learning at the biological level, okay? Mm -hmm. Yep. Then you have a whole nother level of learning, a second layer of learning, the animal mental layer of learning. The entire system is prepped to learn based on experience. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it's going to, what is it? It's a behavioral investment pattern system that is trying to track the energy effort investment in particular um, directions to now we use John to engage in a transjective recursive relevance realization to find the path of least effort toward the best outcome. That's the behavioral investment frame, okay? So that's what the system is now set up to do. And that moves the entire organism as a whole and places it as an agent arena relationship in a sensory motor looping function, okay? 
So, and that, what is that biology? The whole point is no, actually that's animal mental psychology. Yeah. Because it uses the entire organ system and moves it as a singularity. And that's what plants don't do. If a plant, if a vine climbs down from the tree and attacks you, run the fuck away. That'd be unbelievably freaky, right? Okay. <laughs> if a deer runs across the street, you know, stop, but you don't freak out because right. deers move as whole units. Vines grow as units, but they don't get up and move. There's an intuitive right? tie in here. Yeah, it's really you nice. Know? So that there's an entire dimension of behavior that animals engage in, okay, as a function of the nervous system's capacity to organize, coordinate, and, and drive it towards the ex coordinated expenditure of work effort in a recursive relevance realization way. So inside the organ system's potential and the way the nervous system is structured is a, a system of potential behavioral investment, mm -hmm. okay? And we can really think about that as essential, essential set of energy dispositions toward particular types of outcomes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now I'm remember, there's these two. Oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. I was just smiling because it, it reminds me of you know the gender theorist um, scientist Dana Evans, like genetic gendered behavioral dispositions as kind of forming some of the basis for. Yeah. No. Then it then it basically creates a set of weights and a set of experiential anticipations for a learning of the behavioral investment repertoires and patterns, okay? Um, so for example, like neuroticism, all right? Neuroticism is the disposition to set the negative affect system, which is the threat and, and runaway system, okay? And then you'll have a set of genetics that basically is gonna say, okay, how is experience, the early attachment of the infant, the early tr traumas, the early kinds of ways that it copes, how rich is this negative affect system going to be built. And the genetics clearly play a role in that. Experience plays a role in that. And then you build a particular disposition towards stress where high neurotic means you have, you're idle pretty high. I'm kind of feel ready to feel negative feelings. Yeah. Some bad things happen. You shoot up much higher than the average if you're high neuron and it's harder to come down. And so you sit with a high negative affect system. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, what is, is that mind or is that matter? It's like, it's the animal mental layer of behavioral investment. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and, you know, yes. that's what it is. It's not either your stupid conception of mind or your ridiculous conception of matter. It's the actual complex adaptive dynamic system that's properly understood as a third dimension of complexification that relates to the way animals invest their energy as whole yeah. entities and move around. Just watch them. <laughs> it's, yeah. not, it's not some crazy yeah. empirical thing. It's like, watch what fucking animals do. Totally. You know, so... So that's the, so that, and then, then the argument is if that's the case, and then we say, well, what is the actual structure of behavioral investment? Well, the structure of behavioral investment is embedded in an organism system, is shaped by evolution. So fundamentally its concerns are survival and reproductive success. So the behavioral investment patterns are basically, how is it going to move the organism in, at a fundamental level, and first and foremost, with those two concerns basically baked in, mm -hmm. okay? So now if the two concerns are baked in, now we look at the two body plans and we ask the question, well, okay, the survival concerns of the two systems are generally very similar. The two body plans of male and female in a sexually reproductive species, okay? So that if they are both exposed to predation, they will run away. Mm -hmm. Or if they put their hand in a fire, they're gonna pull it out with the same kind of need to get the fuck out of there. They're very similar reactions to male and female body plans to fire and bears, run away. <laughs> 
okay? <laughs> Food, on the other hand, has a very also similar reaction in general, okay? Mm -hmm. But the issues then of reproduction and parental investment mm -hmm. are quite different, mm -hmm. okay? In other words, hey, the ways in which I, as a male body plan, get my kids to a next generation and the problems and challenges associated with that and the ways that if you were a female body plan, then you would, that's a totally different structure, okay? Yes. Yep. And that means you need a different behavioral guidance system, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. So for example, generally you would want the male system to seek fertile females to be able to identify them mm -hmm. as investing and vice versa. So you have a sexual orientation system that's prepared mm -hmm. for particular kinds of work effort. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I'll look at me in a classic sort of archetypal male structure at 10, you could have shown me certain things and like, you know, breasts or whatever. And I would, Oh, that's kind of, isn't that funny? I got to see breasts. Okay. Yeah. At 15, I'm like, Oh my God, show me those things. <laughs> okay. Okay. What happened? Well, there's a developmental lifespan plan, right? That gets me to a place where I'm now shifting from a child to a phase shift into a reproducing adult called adolescence, okay? So my body plan switches on before it's latent. It then switches through testosterone. It mm -hmm. turns on a lot of investment patterns. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then a five-year plan, I went from, I don't really give a shit about that to, oh my God, that's all I think about. Yes. Okay. Because yeah. my body plan basically said, you're now ready for this kind of investment. Mm -hmm. okay. This is where for me, like the, the first real gender confusion started. Well, to well yeah. now, okay. So now if you have a psyche system, if, if I'm aligned with my social role that they've told me I'm a boy and they're justifying and my orientations aligned and my felt sense of masculine energy is aligned with my penis and testes, I'm aligned. Yes. Okay. Yes. But if my psychic structure was, hey, I have sexual orientation issues. Now, all of a sudden, like my I have a friend who tell the story of, so his system comes online at the body level. Okay. Mm -hmm. And for whatever uh, processes, mostly which will some experience, but mostly will be the hormonal switch early on and then prepare so that the Think about how fucking hard it is to calculate an orientation towards sexuality that has a particular form that you're oriented to. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's hard for nature to do. It's hard mm -hmm. to get it right. Seems like know? it would be. Yeah. You know, I mean, think of it. It's just how fun it is to masturbate. People should be fucking masturbating all the time. It's just great. You know, what the hell? Right. <laughs> you know, it's just pleasurable. But the system actually has to regulate that. It can't just turn it on. It has to regulate it and orient it at a particular time. And because they're two different kinds of orientations, if you're bathed in a particular hormone at a particular place, you're going to switch the system. And if you get some experiences, you'll move the embodiment of the behavioral repertoire in a different direction. Mm -hmm. So the sexual orientation, like mm. a friend that I always tell, when we were 15, me and my other best friends were doing all of that. I get laid. And, oh my God, she's so hot. And you just can't stop thinking that's insane. You know, right. you're basically yeah. obsessed and insane. As a little 15 year old, sorry, kids out there, but you know, you'll grow at 50, it changes. Anyway, so then, then this other guy, he's lukewarm about the whole thing, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? It's like, yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, like, well, <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. sure. And so what's happening to his body system is I look into my consciousness, I see all that and it aligns, you know, he looks in and there's nothing there, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. 
And to the extent that it's there, it's if he gets, you know, he gets a glimpse of Playgirl and it's like something happens, right? Mm-hmm. right. And, but his self-consciousness is like, I don't know if I want that to happen. Uh, the inner conflict mm-hmm. too strong right? to really you realize. The it. person system talking to the body system saying, uh, mm-hmm. your justification and your persona cannot be gay. This is 1980s, yeah. by the way. And it's like, mm, yeah. that's a problem, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he then has the whole conflict. But where is it coming from? The psychic behavioral system. Okay, it's not just biology per se, it's actually biology prepping a behavioral repertoire and has the capacity to look at in a much more fluid bimodal distribution that comes out of the bimodal distribution of the organism systems to prepare the primate towards a particular kind of behavioral repertoire that's expected to be aligned, but it's fluid and flexible. So there's going to be all sorts of different kinds of reasons why there's going to be more overlapping and then the less body plan, but there's still going to be attractor states and attractor state in a complex adaptive mm-hmm. system is where you would expect the system to see, mm-hmm. you know, end itself. And yeah. most people end with an orientation, sexual orientation that's aligned to their body in that regard. Okay. Sure. Gender likewise. Right. And, but that's the sexual orientation embodiment piece. There's a lot to gender. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> there's an enormous amount to gender and, and the human primate lives in overlapping but also different kinds of gendered energies Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay all right why well if we look at the investment patterns of primates on things like children right okay there's a little thing called parental investment theory Mm -hmm. all right parental investment theory says that to the extent that there's differences in parental investing okay the high investing sex becomes a limiting resource that the low investing sex competes around. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you got the energy to get the stuff in the next generation. Mm-hmm. And if I can find your investment as a resource, then I have to plug into that and I will compete with other males to gain access to females. Sure. Okay. Does that sound familiar at all? <laughs> it sounds a lot right? familiar. Right. <laughs> this makes a cr- crystal clear prediction, for example, mm-hmm. if this system of primates were able to generate a monetary money system, okay? Mm -hmm. It makes a crystal clear prediction which sex is gonna compete and pay for sex with the other sex, Mm -hmm. okay? 100%, before we know anything about society and justification at the behavioral investment mammal perspective, we can predict enormous clarity that the male will pay to have sex with the female. Mm-hmm. Gives it some power as a theory for sure. Okay. Why? Because actually, the genetic payoff of reproductive of a, of a child is 50 50. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, they, and if the currency is reproduction of genetic genes, and this is simplistic selfish gene theory, but it works in general in a hierarchical multi level mm-hmm. selection, which is more appropriate, but whatever, you get one kid, if, if you know, we have kids, the male gets 50%, and the female gets 50%, the payoff genetically is exactly the same. Yes. Okay. So the same payoff. If I'm the male and it takes me 30 seconds <laughs> of investment, okay, 10 calories. <laughs> All right. Now think about what it case costs the female to produce that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. You can actually look at the size of the egg relative to the sperm and think about that. I mean, sp- eggs yeah. like 450 times bigger. In fact, even, you know, whatever. It's just the risk. The, the calories to hold, mm-hmm. the change to the body, mm-hmm. the cutting off of other reproductive opportunities. I can go out and do that again mm-hmm. whenever I recharge, okay? Yeah. 
You're yeah. done in relationship yeah. to that structure. Then you have birth problems, unbelievably risky to give birth. Mm-hmm. And then you have care problems to get it out to ad- adolescence because it's one of the most long, we're one of the most unbelievably, uh, yeah. you know, helpless entities yeah. and vulnerable. Yes. So the cost to get a reproduction outcome for the woman relative to the potential minimum cost of a man is astronomically different. Yeah, yeah. Right? So if these things are organisms that have behavioral investment proclivities that are guided by both survival, they're going to look similar, and reproduction, they may look quite different. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yep. And so there's an enormous amount of implication that says the biology to mental animal primate structure mm-hmm. is going to shape the masculine and feminine energy mm-hmm. on sexual orientation. And then I'm going to argue actually even very important for the trans world on a relational psychic organization. Yes, yes, totally. Okay? totally. And yep. ultimately we can use this idea about parental investment to show the core relational psychic organization that's going to be quite different. Okay. Mm-hmm. So primates are with human primates, unbelievably unusual. Almost all other primates, only the female invests in offspring. Mm-hmm. Okay. Males taking care of offspring is a rare, there's some documented cases, but nobos do it a touch, but mm-hmm. virtually no other primate oh. demonstrates any male investment of the offspring mm-hmm. at all. Humans are off the charts and by far the single most investing male primate in without bar none. Wow. Yeah. So, so nature f- comes along and it does, you know, I often talk on the show, I talk about my maternal heart. Okay. I see an infant that's injured or a person that's injured. And I immediately, my heart's like, oh my God, I want to take care. I want to bring her, him into my bosom. Mm-hmm. Where does that come from? Nature took the archetypal female care mm-hmm. and blended it and put it into the male psyche as a shamanid level. And I now care my maternal heart is because they transferred it over. This is a recent transfer by nature in the hominid line in a very different way. It's only a couple million years old if that. Wow. Okay. So you have this first initiation so that inside a male psyche has the capacity to actually care for a young injured entity. Mm-hmm. All the other males are like, fuck it. <laughs> I don't care. I want to go get laid. Okay. Yeah. You know, and I want to compete, you know, for shit and gain control over stuff mm-hmm. in the world instrumentally, mm-hmm. as opposed to, I want to create a relational webbing Mm-hmm. with young and other mothers mm-hmm. so that we are the resource of reproduction for our group. Yeah. So here's your salience landscape, you know, differences, right? If that's, then this entire heart relational system is going to strongly suggest that, that although a, the humans are going to be actually much more alike because there's actually now going to grab a care capacity and a relational care capacity, but it's going to be new and underdeveloped relative to the woman. And we can say very clearly that actually males should have a more instrumental and agentic orientation to the world where they solve problems and then drop the relational dynamics into the background because they're running around hunting and building shit. Yeah. And then women are going to put the relational dynamics much more in the foreground and web relational networks together to create a matriarchal structure that can hold the center of the community as its reproductive core. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
that, yeah. And, you know, as you've explained this to me before, it's like, it made so much sense just to jump in with my like personal perspective on it, because yeah. like, my whole thing has always been like, you know, seeing women talking to each other in coffee shops, you know, holding hands, sharing emotions, being this thing. I'm like, I want that. That's, that's the life I should be living. I shouldn't be this individual agentic person as much. And I, I know there's a spectrum and all that stuff, but um, you know. That's the essence of it. So the point of it is, is that the gen yes. transgender identity at the heart level, now notice the orientation, notice why now sexual orientation is very different. That's embodied valiance. Like I want to go fuck that thing. Yes. That's yes. different. Okay. Then this is how I feel in the relational network world. Yes. Right. Yes. So sexual, you can be gay and unbelievably masculine in your fundamental sense. You just want to fuck men. Okay. But you're like, Hey, I'm a weightlifter. And I'm, you know, yeah, all that. Totally. You, know, you don't need that. Often they are connected. So you get an archetypal blending of, you know, whatever the sexual orientation is inside of a gendered energy system that's all blended but you can have them be very different because one's at the body level and a behavioral repertoire for a particular kind of activity and one's at the relational internal working model network level at the heart level which mapped by the matrix and the placement the intuitive placement of what relational fields are okay? mm -hmm. and for the femme woman the relational field is primary in other words talk about the mask of uh, you know we were talking like the felt sense of self other intersubjectivity and the relational implications of that and the webbing of that become the figure for many, many women yes. okay, that yes. is then central versus the background. So the classic, when we do couples therapy, okay, my most popular blog has to do with why men don't talk about their feelings, okay? <laughs> and, the, and, and the most common process for couples is as following. He doesn't talk to me, okay? And when I bring him stories, he tries to solve my problems. Right. Yep. This is an unbelievably common deal. Okay. Mm -hmm. What is happening? Okay. First off, if there aren't problems, the relational system is fine for the man in the background. It just sits there. Okay. If there are problems that we come into the foreground, but if it's not, it just sits there and idles and fine. Right. Okay. Yep. For the woman... The relational process is needs to constant regeneration or frequent. And I'm not saying anything pejorative. It's just the process by which it's reviving itself and reassuring the self other interconnectedness. Tending the garden. Yep. Tending the garden. Okay. So no news is good news from the man. Why would we need to talk about it unless some problem happened? Then we'll solve it. And for a woman, no news is starvation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's like, we're not tending the garden. You have to yeah. constantly renew the place of the self-other. So, so she then asks him what's going on. And he's like, what are we talking about? Yeah. We're talking. <laughs> we're nourishing the garden. Okay. And he's like, but there's no problems. You know? right. And then except often problems are a cue to tend the, for the women. Just, just they're actually the background to tend the garden. Men flips it. So a woman comes home and is like, God, you know, this person came to work and she was actually complaining and I wrote her an email. And the man says, well, why did you write her the email that way? <laughs> Maybe you should have written the email this way. Okay. And the woman's like, that's not what I meant. Yeah. Right? She's I, like, what the hell are you doing? He's like, why would you bring this to me if it was sparked by an email you wrote that caused a problem with this person if you didn't want guidance on how to write a better email? Mm -hmm. And the woman's like, fuck you, you idiot. It's like, how could you interpret this story this way? You mansplaining son of a bitch. You now have demeaned me, acted as though I'm incompetent, put yourself on a pedestal, gave me advice I didn't want, and ruined 
the whole purpose of me bringing this to you. Yeah, I just trampled on our little garden right there. Totally. It's like, you're supposed to tend the garden and say, oh my gosh, dear, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry I didn't hear you that way. That must've been really frustrating for me. Any other thing that happened? Was there any good thing that happened? How was the rest of your day? I care about yeah. the relational web you're in and I care about our garden together. Yep. And then we'll get to whatever solution. And if there's any solutions that need to actually resonate after a while, we'll bring them back and okay, try one, two, three. But now we have shown ourselves to have relational field dependence and appreciate the webbing of each of our valued perspectives and bring us close together. Yes, that's okay. totally, yep. So that, uh, how does that resonate with your own fundamental experience in relationship? You know, I know I've, I've heard like trans masculine people and people, you know, moving toward a man direction yep. by taking hormones, feeling like really relieved that they were on testosterone because it enabled them to like detach from others' emotions, right? Like they just were too enmeshed couldn't get clear on what their own needs were, their own sense of agency, right? I'm imagining was. And I'm like, I wanted the opposite. I love being enmeshed with others' emotions. <laughs> Even if it sucks, it feels right. It's my home, right? It's my home to be in. I just, you know, love this whole interacting, tending the garden thing that I'm doing more of now. I'm learning to be a better person, you know, to, to aspire to be like a like a woman who can do that most effectively because I'm playing catch up in a lot of ways but just the the basis of it feels so right and what you're saying just I've always thought of gender as like you know a relational issue for, and especially you know that makes sense that I would actually be projecting somewhat uh, my own experience onto gender um, because you know it's so relational to me but it does involve how we relate to others obviously so so and according to the unified theory we haven't gotten to justification at all Mm -hmm. okay this is all the influence matrix the edge of us as primates in our felt sense of intuitive intersubjective way relating okay this is 500 to 5 million years ago in relationship to our own line as hominids okay so to the extent of what i just described notice it's is it physical bi biophysical mechanism <laughs> or is it ideological social construction it's actually, it's, it's absolutely neither one of those things. It's the behavioral investment repertoire of an animal mammal primate that's following particular kinds of structures for sexual reproduction and for creating a relational network that is for an unbelievable social primate that has to care for young in a very intense way that places different demands on the two reproductive strategies that then creates different relational field experiences and placements. Yes. And that's and and so if that's the case, then what would happen to a trans individual would be I'm probably on orientation, but you know, that could be complicated, but into the relational heartfelt sense, the psychic sense of whether or not you're archetypally masculine, agentic, competitive. You know, I talk about my feminine heart. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. archetypal feminine heart on the care dimension, there's sexuality dimension, but on the care dimension, see something that's injured, network it together, grab other women together and talk about the care. Mm, yeah. Okay. That's archetypal. And I can feel that I have that very strongly in me. That's why I became a therapist. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I have a physicist head. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's like, I want, I want, I, you know, I want to take a geometry and I want to do a squared plus B squared. And I want to analyze it in the precision with which I can analyze it and the abstraction and the generalizability, the process by which I can be given problems, compete with other individuals with sort of edgy and bring home the bacon of a solution. Oh, uh -huh. That's <laughs> fucking living, you know? 
that's living for the physicist head, you know? Um, and it's an arc, you know, certainly, obviously a lot of women love doing that just like I am as a man. So we have, as humans, we have these archetypes, but it's a very, very different kind of energy. And that's primate energy. Of course, the channel through, in this case in particular, a justification person sense, but the energies are not biological or societal. They're animal, mental, behavioral energies. Yes. Yeah. Right? And that's like, yeah. Oh, and they sorry, organize the psyche, mm-hmm. which is the felt sense of epistemic meaning making from within your subject. Okay. And if people then can fundamentally watch the behavior patterns of others and feel fundamentally misassigned by society, the justification, you have a penis, therefore you're a man, and their fundamental sense of relational beingness can be misaligned with their mm-hmm. biology and the labeling. That's yeah. the whole point. That's what I've been calling the line of best fit. You know, when you yeah. talked about like, what's your normative standard mm-hmm. for how you fit? Exactly. exactly. So. Yep. So, yep. so isn't it weird though, that we, that you can see that you're an organism, you're a primate and you're a person, the person's the social construction. And yes, we act, obviously we can change those norms enormously. Look what we've done in the last 20 years, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. largely for good. Mm-hmm. But if the underlying justification is that it's all arbitrary and irrelevant, and we can simply write them in any way that we want, that's disconnected from our primate natures, yeah. that is fucked up. I mean, that, and the idea that this is this, versus biophysiological structural mechanism that's determined, it's like, oh my God, we're going to ruin everything. Yeah. Like, I mean, from Sapolsky, you know, and and a whole bunch of other neuroscientists, you know, you see these differences in the brains of trans people again, you know, and it's like, why would these differences exist if it was just to construct? It's not like, you know, someone compared it to move like gender transition to like moving to Scotland. Like it's just some kind of like arbitrary cultural oh. thing you find yourself fitting in better with, but there's no brain center of moving to Scotland that evolved with us. You know what I mean? It's like very different in some ways. Exactly. Think about what happened to me at 10 and then what happened to me at 15. There's a behavioral repertoire. And then if you looked at my, uh, believe me, you put me in a CAT scan and you get me thinking about breasts in 10 and get me thinking about breasts at 15, you'll see an entirely different pattern light up, right? Mm -hmm. Now, one thing I'm hesitant about the brain thing is because I'm I'm cautious to get people. Mm -hmm. I want to be cautious out there. The brain thing activates our old structural mechanism reduction, okay? Mm -hmm. Because what it does is it gives us this mechanistic notion, oh, that that's causing, you know, it's like balls rolling down a hill. Oh, look at it. That's the mechanism. Mechanism is important, folks. Okay. Yeah. But it is actually the, what, what science really does is it elucidates patterns of behavior. Okay. Mm-hmm. That is different than structural mechanism. That's the difference between the TOK view and the physical reductionist view. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. and what we are actually operating, because if you just do reductive mechanism, what you essentially, you lose the developmental process systems view. You have to have developmental process system view and you need to recognize you know there are reductive causes at various levels of stratification and you need to place the, de- the developmental relational process view with a deductive cause view in proper dialectic and, and that's the where, only like, way to do that would be, would be sorry my i was going to interject like that's where you know my sense of aspiration would be then impaired mm-hmm. if that right really- totally so you have to then think about okay what you're actually after is a transjective which by the end way becomes agent arena Mm-hmm. behavioral relationship okay at the proper level of complexification which at the one level is primate we can take john again which are the three p's of procedural participatory and perspective we share all those kinds of knowings with the primates okay that's your primate level of being 
then we add this culture person propositional justifying layer on top of that. And that's what makes us a very different primate. But we want to get in proper rate relation between our propositional justification narrative structures, our participatory perspectival procedural ways of behaving in the world as animals, as primates in this context, and then also our organismic structure. That's the alignment. That's the stack that we need to be clear about across the different layers of stratified behavioral, the levels and dimensions of stratified behavior. And that's what we need to be. And so if you get, if that can get a misaligned, TOK shows how the kind of misalignment that would lead to a, a transgender gender dysphoria state. Mm -hmm. And it also then affords you the kind of clarity about what kind of lines are going to be like, okay, this is actually a real case of transgender. Mm -hmm. right? And one of the things I'm very worried about from a clinical perspective with this, another real iatrogenic effect of, well, it's whatever you are subjectively. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And from a clinical perspective, what that's going to mean is people that have serious identity issues, their ego self embodiment relation is fucked up because they're traumatized. They don't, mm -hmm. they're not known and valued. They're broken and they live at what's called a borderline level of organization. Yeah. Okay? Yep. Then what's going to happen is that that attributional system will search anywhere for possible problems in a yeah. fluid and disorganized system. And then you enter in a particular community. It's like, oh, you're going to be this. Really, the core of you is going to be this way. And then somebody watches and looks at their identity and they're all disorganized anyway. And then they'll generate some hypothesis that, oh, it's my gender identity and the way I've been oppressed. That's the key. And then they'll get locked into that with a piece of bullshit because actually what's actually going on is it's not that there's a central misalignment around this piece of gender. It's a fundamental misbroken alignment in relationship to the entire structure. And then somebody wants an attributional structure that they'll latch on, which for them, unfortunately, it would be bullshit. And then you get this histrionic insistence of a particular kind of narrative, which is actually a fiction that doesn't align with the four core structure. And the differentiation between those two psychic positions is absolutely central, you know, mm -hmm. because one is to help the system become aligned because that's the actual diagnosis of relationship to the dynamics that are off key. And the other is actually, no, this is a fiction that perpetuates a broken system. And there's a whole nother process that needs to unfold for that system to become coherently integrated. Oh my gosh. It's like so delicate because it's like, if you miss either way, then the person is not known, right? They're not- Totally. No, it's a hundred percent shit show. Okay. And it's an unbelievably delicate process, folks. And I'm not saying, all I'm saying is that clinically, I'm not saying this about anybody in, in particular. All I'm saying is that if you know the human psyche, and the behavioral processes from the outside, everyone should know both of those are possible. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. all. And to the extent that they're both possible, we have to be very careful both to shut things down and be like we all were in the old, you know, that there is no trans or whatever. So what a nightmare that is. And then at the same time, if a five-year-old or nine-year-old or anybody starts to wonder about their gender identity, then ergo, they're free to just narrate the way they want. Well, in many different contexts, that could be an unbelievable fluid disaster <laughs> because the fluidity is actually yeah. part of the problem in yeah. relationship to the structural organization of the psychic system and just to add more chaos to it in a misdirection that makes it believe that this must be the answer no that's not going to be good so we're in trouble at that level i mean this is and that's why it's so important to have a refined notion about what we're actually looking at so we can yeah. all engender no pun intended the right kinds of conversations in relationship to what might be going on yes that's what i'm trying to do with my peer support peeps, you know, just like, and it's, it's not, I'm not laying theory on them. I'm just like, 
How does that feel to you? What does that mean to you? What's your experience? What's your experience? You said this last week, that's different than this week. What are you, you know, like these kind of questions and just, cause you find with like a lot of, well, with trauma, with teens, with um, autism, you know, um, you know, it's, there's a lot of disconnect oftentimes, you know, even with internally with one's experience to say nothing of a teenager, not wanting to, you know, justify themselves to an adult in certain ways. So that's, it's a real, that's where I find my job to be is just continually, again, opening the space, yep. reflecting, co-reflecting, you know, cause yeah, I'm worried about everything you said, you know, from all directions, no matter what it is, like the per like the whole point of the transgender revolution is that you cannot, you know, authentically be who you really are, you know, in terms of like your biology, your animal self, your mental self, you know, et cetera. Like, and, sure. you know, we don't want to like, just be like, okay, now we're just arbitrary. Cause what is that then? It's like a cartoon, you know? Yeah. And that's the big, that's the big danger. And that's why we need a meta modern sensibility. Maybe we can, yes. you know, bring ourselves to a close here in relation. So, I mean, the meta modern framework that I would, is that you have the modernist thesis that we can achieve truth in particular kinds of ways and transcend culture and use reason and science to achieve that. At least it's the philosophical scientific aspect of modernity is obviously capital and all that other shit. Um, but that's the philosophical claim. And then we have the postmodern claim that says, no, every, the modernists fail to appreciate the instantiation embeddedness, imminent embeddedness of their social systems of justification mm -hmm. and the iterative feedback of their legitimizing structures where they were starting in power and then the power structures that be in the socio-historical concept. So the power reason looping that takes place at collective levels is radically different than what they said it was at the sort of idealized individual deductive level. And the embodiment then is actually what manifests are systems of justification embedded in societies that legitimize particular power structures, to use a Foucault, Foucault interpretation, okay? okay? And then that, that's a critique, philosophical critique, post-structural critique, which is totally justified, okay? Mm -hmm. But the issue is we're now in place, things like John's work and the TOK in particular, the tree of knowledge basically starts with the postmodern assertion that in fact, systems of knowledge are justification systems. Mm -hmm. But instead of saying that that's a trap epistemology, which basically means you're always gonna be framed, it actually affords a placement to see that as the ontological process of being human. Yes. Meaning it's like the what humans do are justified. Mm -hmm. And it's connected to the other levels of the stack. Well, then by virtue of shifting the focus from an epistemological insight, oh, the way you know is actually embedded in systems of societal justification and institutional claims that actually legitimize power. Mm -hmm. From the outside now, actually the ontology of being human is to justify. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's a totally different position. And actually then it affords a return to certain kinds of claims. Well, if that's the case, what kind of picture of knowledge could I generate that would afford me the capacity to see that ontology? Actually, natural science did transcend the context in certain regards to give rise to certain deductive claims that do transcend cultural justification because yeah. the entire process of science epistemology is to factor out the subjective biases of the individual and afford logical deductive analyses. Yeah. And so now we, if you look at the tree of knowledge, it has a circle. And that's science coming out of it. And at one level, science is both inside the circle of justification as culture. It's a justification system that's embedded in a society, a Foucault dynamic, which is going to require investment and influence and have investment influence implications that are going to structure it. That's the postmodern view, placing yeah. science inside. And then it also shoots out 
and then maps the physical, biological, psychological, and social, that is the modernist transcendent view that actually can to rise above the process and give us a transcultural view or transcendent view of reality, that is the modern thesis. So we can actually achieve the meta-modern sensibilities. Oh, there's the modernist thesis, which was partially true, but failed to contextualize it in systems of justification, which the critique of the postmodernists point out. But now we have a meta-modern synthesis that holds that critique by placing science as a kind of justification system in the culture person plane of existence. And at the same time with the tree of knowledge show the process by which trans science can in fact create an objective perspective that does afford transcendence of that justification and says, yeah, no, there's a big bang and there's matter and then there's life and then there's mind across a cultural evolution. I mean, a evolution complexification that leads to culture. Ooh, I'm gonna have to go actually go back and listen to that myself. Um. <laughs> so, that, so now the point of it is, is that we can actually now, this is what's happening in this little corner of the internet, right? The reason yeah. it's so interesting is that actually there is a enlightenment 2.0 transformation that we're on the doorstep of. And to the extent that that happens, we pick up the peer-to-peer -peer support systems and ground them in justifications that do justice to support, yeah. but also legitimize the process forward rather than just obliterating it, flatlining it in relationship to, well, we all have ideas and there's no right and wrong. And yeah, that, right. if we do that, then the back half of the 21st century has got a chance. Yeah, yeah. And I think I wanted to add, add one more thing to that too with, with regard to gender because people are asking, you know, are transgender people real or not and all this stuff. And I'm like, that question itself can be called into question if you use your, you know, model of the TOK because it's like, well, you've got potential at the level of like biology. You've got, you know, realization at the level of the mental, you know, like in Verveke's both senses of the word realization, mm -hmm. you know, with regard to like, oh, I'm actually the wrong gender or whatever. And then you've got actualization at the level of culture so that you can break down, is someone really trans into these different, you know, I'd nice. say realization when you first, when it mm. first occurs to you that you're in the wrong role, that's when you become a real trans person in, right, in a right. one central sense, but these other mm -hmm. levels have to be part of that. And that's like a much more to me, my intuitive sense of metamodernism, you know, is that, and that blends with the TOK really well. Beautiful, totally. And it's the capacity to coherently hold and pluralistically appreciate in proper dialectical relation. Mm, yes, yes, yep. Those those feedback loops have to be going between individual and culture. You know, we've got the cultural constraints and the individual variations that have to be, you know, having this dialogue about gender on that level. We've got, of course, you know, mental and biological, etc. So, yeah, I think it could be. I think there's this this. Ah, glowing potential for this, you know, beautiful new thing of gender that like goes beyond social roles, it goes beyond work roles, it goes into like salience landscapes and how we're realizing relevance collectively because women like, you know, tend toward the relationship more and men toward, you know, toward the, um, you know, action more or whatever, the agency. And like, then we can kind of get that bifocal lens on things or however many, you know, non-binary people might have some kind of, you know, of intermediate setup. So. Right. Well, we, yeah. right, so you got a bimodal distribution with middle distribution and people will be able to find their place in, in proper holding. And that's, that's, I believe there's a real architecture profile. Yeah, yeah. I think what you have done is clarify that like you can just put stuff into these level, like a bookshelf now. Like I right. can there's right. <laughs> right, we can actually know where the claims are in proper relation. And if that's the case, we can then build pragmatic participatory pathways that are transitively oriented toward heaven away from hell. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Like, best fit through the whole damn thing. <laughs> Woo. All right. I love it. Hey, this was great. There. I think we got there. No, I, 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 
I'm really thrilled with all that you're doing, Rachel. And it's, it's really crucial. I mean, to me, every, there's, a, there's this emerging thread line and we're all holding our little threads, right? And different people then have different roles in relationship to the threading. And one of the most important roles, you know, is the bridging role function, you know, is the people that are, are sort of, uh, you know, in the system that can see post-conventionally, you know, and then have the brilliant intuitive understanding of the patterns that you have, and then grab a hold of certain things that are happening, and then create that bridging function, you know, and that's what I see you doing. It's a beautiful thing. It's, a mo it's a absolutely central to the weave that we need to be engaged in. Thank you so much. I, yeah, I, I see myself as like the walker between the worlds, you know, just like in terms of gender too, like trying to yeah. provide a spotlight for that issue, but in terms of the sense making, meaning making community and, and just, yeah, like, you know, kind of the magpie flying between people. Uh, you know, and absolutely central, absolutely central to the entire evolutionary emergent process that we're looking at here. It feels really good. Thank you. So, well, thanks so much for coming on. I really yeah. uh, and deeply enjoyed it as I predicted. I'm not surprised, but I'm glad that uh, it unfolded as such, as expected. Yeah. And, and it was a glorious way. And, you know, it's always a joy to talk with you. Totally. Same, same completely to you. All right. So thanks so much.